0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the co-filled oil and propane studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: I'm Bill Amadeo from McMass Amadeo and Grable Associates gonna kick it back to Willow Avenue in a lighthearted way and we'll talk about some of my favorite shows back there and stuff but I want to discuss being poor in Willow Avenue and being poor in Willow Avenue will explain what was available for television. What's up Joe? Um as many of you know one of the things I splurge on financially. Hey what's up Kelsey Kels. And I'm really, I'm smart with money because I'm paranoid because when you were broke, I mean, I'm a really good tipper, but I don't like to spend just for the sake of spending. Tipping, I bartend it, so that's really important to me. But as far as just going out and buying some high-end stuff for myself, that's not really me. Um, I'll buy high-end stuff for people I care about, but I don't like to splurge on myself, and the only thing I really splurge on is television. I have every sports channel known to man if boise state is playing north dakota at 3 a.m on a tuesday i can get that and this comes back to growing up in the hood and i can't help (laughs) we're going to go back to willow avenue and Ducktown in the 90s for a minute here and i want to discuss some of my neighbors because that was fun i gotta watch some of the names i say I'm going to discuss television. Now let's understand something. As a child, before mom started working in the casino, we were on welfare. We used to get like basic cable and TV was like my one escape from the world. So we had 12 channels back then and no remote control. And we thought it was really cutting edge. We had this thing where you could press down. It went from channels 2 to 13. And channels 2 to 13 were, um, that was our whole option for television. And it used to depress the hell out of me. I'd go to school. And I would hear the kids talk about the game they watched on Prism, which was a big channel, pay channel back then, or HBO and this and that. And I'm stuck with 2 to 13. But I also think There were some powerful memories of those channels. So I'm gonna discuss what channels two to 13 were and tell you some of the shows I got introduced to and maybe that will be another piece of the puzzle for those that like to do psychological studies of me. I hope that's going well for you guys. I know some of my haters will tune in, but it's really funny when people can't stand me, they'll tune in to my lives Like, an hour after the fact so nobody will know they're on. That's cute. But, um... My obsession with having every channel comes from being poor on Willow Avenue and only having 12 channels. I can never revert to not having every channel known to me. I need this. And some people from my socioeconomic status that made it to a higher status splurge on clothing, jewelry. I will only splurge on property because I think that's a great investment and television. And it goes back to these 12 channels with no remote. On channel two, because it went two to 13, we had local access TV. And what this meant was any idiot with a few bucks to get on TV. And you were stuck seeing all these local authors or a local elementary school teacher pushing their book. And this was like, this was horrible. Like sometimes you would go to channel two just to get a laugh. But you would see people you knew on TV and this would really like help their social status. They paid channel two a little bit of money and here they are. Um, imagine a crazy person who goes on a television or a podcast because they have access to it. Somebody's gonna get that. You like that? (laughs) Channel three is where things kind of took off. Channel three was NBC. Here was the problem. Cause you know, you say we have 12 channels. So channel three is one of them. NBC is where you had your love for cheers and eventually Seinfeld would come on and NBC was great. However, there were problems. Let me explain. Cause you start with the premise that I got 12 channels, but I don't. We have less and here's why. Channel four was TV 40. And what that meant in English, it was Atlantic City's version of NBC. And like when four dealerships would advertise, it would be on Channel 3. And when the local car dealership would advertise, it would be on TV40. One of the cool things about TV40 is when we get world-class championship wrestling, we'll get back to that. So three and four were NBC. And then to make things a little more complex and cheat the viewer more, channel 10 was also NBC. So if you're 13 channels, three were NBC. So as a poor kid, I'm kind of bitter because channels three, four, and 10 are goddamn NBC. We're losing out. So. If the afternoon football game's on NBC, it's also on TV 40, it's also on channel 10. So you didn't have 12 channels. Channel five was local stuff. And with the local stuff, not to the level of channel two, but what channel five would have, tons and tons and tons of religious programming god bless my aunt i had a speech problem as a child so she believed you send oral roberts some money and you put your finger on his mouth he could speak properly okay and i got to see every tv evangelist you could imagine um i would learn that the white protestants had a much shorter service than the black protestants and of course being a strong catholic you'd have to go serve mass and do this and do that. So you'd go to church, you'd work in the rectory and come home, your grandfather and aunt were studying Oral Roberts or Jimmy Swagger or Robert Tilton. And one of my goals was if I could have, I would have taken the number five and destroyed it. So this channel was gone. This channel is one of the reasons I have issues with some sects of organized religion. Because I saw it all against my will. You know, what Grandpa, a very religious man, would do is we'd go to church on Saturday or Sunday, then he would study what Robert said on Channel 5. And lucky for me, people like Robert Tilt were on every day. And he could afford to be on every day because these poor idiots were giving him money. I mean, ugh. A TV evangelist... And used car salesmen should hang out together at a bar. Channel six was ABC. Now this was a special channel to my family. Because on channel six were Aunt Mare and mom soap operas, which included Loving, All My Children, One Life to Live and General Hospital. And despite being poor and this and that they would escape into the lives of people in soap operas from a very young age if i was sick at home or it was summer break i would watch soap operas with aunt mary and mom and i learned a lot of bizarre things watching soap operas but that's what abc was known for you know it just was and there was also monday night football Channel 7 was WPHL. That was a local channel out of Philadelphia. And what PHL was really known for is they had the contract to the Phillies games. So you could watch the Phillies games on WPHL, and it was cool. Channel 8 was special. Because for whatever reason, on Channel 8 was ESPN. ESPN back then, you thought this was kryptonite. You would see highlights of games from Seattle. As a poor kid in the hood, you thought this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is before the internet. This is before pay channels were a thing. And ESPN built their dynasty off being channel 8. In Atlantic City whatever channel they were other local people but watching ESPN was the greatest thrill of your day when in doubt you could always go to channel 8 and see Tom Meese is talking about games coming up and we'll talk about different shows that came on a little bit later but yeah channel 8 was ESPN channel 9 was WOR WOR was out of New York And they had the Mets games and if you're from Jersey and I heard the Blue Meanie talk about this on the mind of Meanie the Blue Meanie who's Brian Heffron he was like a year or two ahead of me in high school became a successful wrestler he has a podcast good guy should check out his podcast but he was talking the other day on his podcast about how in South Jersey you have your Philadelphia influence you have your New York influence And that was never more true than on your limited amount of TV options back then. Channel nine was your first taste of New York. Channel seven was your first taste of Philadelphia. And you really got this whole vibe, how different these channels were. On channel nine, you had the Mets who were bad back then. On channel seven, you had my Phillies who were really good back then. But you had these options going on, and it was really cool. The reruns of things are when things really start to make a dynamic between New York and Philly, and we'll get into that. Because watching reruns as a child was a huge thing. Something I still appreciate today. But old school TV. And we're going to see the New York-Philadelphia dynamic come into play shortly. Channel 10, as I said, was a NBC. Whatever. Channel 11, here's where shit got real, WPIX, this is who had the Yankee games, and again, another New York affiliate, so PIX and WOR were your New York channels, and PHL was your Philadelphia channel, and my god, the Yankees were on, and you could tell that PIX and WOR did not like each other. The Yankees had a superiority complex. OR was the struggling one. And PIX seemed to be, you know, where wealthier New Yorkers would tune in. OR was where lower middle class people would tune in. And as a poor kid in the Yankees, they were just glad to get any channels. But PIX was interesting. We'll get into shows in a minute. Channel 12 was New Jersey Network. This is where Sesame Street was on as a child. And I really want my son to watch Sesame Street, but old school Sesame Street. Because there were powerful lessons learned on Sesame Street. Not this political correct shit today, but back then they really taught you about life. They was a great tutorial for children. Um, there was also some really unique wrestling that came in because they would purchase contracts i'm out of state we'll get into that a little bit later and channel 13 was fox this is fox before it became fox (coughs) and i will say what really changed fox to go mainstream in my opinion were two shows and this is just my opinion this is one guy from new jersey who you could say hey he's talking off his ass but those people that lived this experience and some of the ones that will tune in will say, oh yeah, I know what Bill's talking about. The Simpsons and married with children changed dynamic of Fox. It's hard to believe The Simpsons are still on today, but I'm gonna tell you something, guys, because I watched The Simpsons not too long ago and it just, it's not what it used to be. The first 10 or 12 seasons of The Simpsons, it was some of the best writing on TV Homer Simpson was such an amazing character, and he was huge, his dynamic. Homer resonated with every one of us. And Al Bundy, the high school football player who scored four touchdowns in one game he's visible at the shoe shop he's selling. He's got his wife. People relate to Al Bundy, married with children. Those two shows, in my opinion, set the tone for fox to become what fox is today now understand something tv shows were rare you didn't get everything that the rich kids had and reruns were really a powerful thing it was something you know like the cosby show and cheers and things like that everybody sold them but your bread and butter what did you get to watch now you understand something I grew up in an all-black and Hispanic neighborhood, so the target audience for local shows for reruns was very different than, let's say, Margate would have. So shows I connected to as a child, one was What's Happening, and What's Happening is about three young black teenagers in California growing up. and. It was on for three seasons, but Raj, The Rain, and Rerun, I could tell you every show, like, the back of my hand. I felt like I was one of them, like I was their friend. And eventually, in a really weird set of events, a girl I dated in law school who was also getting a master's degree wrote a thesis paper how what's happening was bad for the black community. And I, I don't, I didn't get that, but we were connected to what's happening. We were also connected to Good Times. Good Times was very different than what's happening. Good Times was almost ironic because that family didn't have a lot of Good Times. But it was about a black family in Chicago that was suffering and striving and that would be on six, seven, eight times a day on different channels. One show that always came on WPHL on Saturday afternoon, at 1 o'clock, sorry, it was, yeah, it was 1 o'clock. NWA Wrestling came on Saturday at noon. And right afterwards, a show that I still watch today that was a staple of the Hood's television options was The White Shadow. The White Shadow, in my opinion, was one of the most powerful shows ever on TV. It set the tone for the Friday night light to the world. And Ken Reeves, the white basketball coach, who goes to Carver High, which is predominantly a minority school, and he coaches and they unify. And this was teaching me diversity in my opinion. I didn't understand why there was always this difference between black and white and Spanish and Asian because we were the only white family left. We'll get into that later. And we learned as we moved on, social economics changed who your neighbors were, obviously. You know, and that literally became like race and social economics played a big dynamic in everything. The people that were poor in Ducktown First, people that were poor in Margate had a very different dynamic to them and the white shadow in the inner city was more respected than it was in Ventnor or Margate and as a child here's where television played such a vital role you'd go to your first parties or whatever and you know it was tough we didn't have a car You get invited to things, and what do you talk about, guys? You talk about what you see, you talk about learned behavior. So I'd be in groups talking about the white shadow or what's happening in good times. And in the suburbs where certain parties were, because at school was, you know, you went to Ventnor for school, that's a story for another time, but they looked at you differently, like, What is wrong with him? He's not black. What do you want these black shows for? I didn't see color in the shows. I just saw shows I liked. And based on socioeconomics, good times, what's happening? And the white shadow were shows that were staples of us. And I don't understand because being a poor kid from the hood or being a successful lawyer in the suburbs, to me, the white shadow is the white shadow. But people don't see things like that. And the access to shows as a child dictates some of your conversation Start as an adult. Wrestling was a big thing back then. And I know my boys, Joe and Adam Cartwright, and all you guys are still into wrestling. I cannot enjoy wrestling today. We went to SummerSlam, and it's supposed to be this big thing, and I did I just wasn't connected to the show. I loved the people I was with, but I wasn't connected to the show. To me, wrestling in the hood was special. On Saturday morning, we had WWF, which is WWE today, but the characters were more powerful. The JYDs, the Million Dollar Man, Big John Studd, Andre, Hulk Hogan, obviously. And then on Channel Seven, At noon on Saturday, we were blown away. There was this Southern territory that bought airtime on channel seven. And it was the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. And we realized while New Jersey is a Vince McMahon territory, there is this powerful program on. You were first introduced to Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. And the American Dream, Dusty roads and Magnum T A, and it was like, oh my God, this is so different. And sometimes they actually show real matches as opposed to just squash matches. If you're a wrestling fan, you know what I'm talking about there. And then on ESPN on Saturday nights came the AWA. Vern Gagne, and he bought airtime on ESPN. Let me tell you something, the AWA. Should have been what WWE is today. They missed the boat. We can talk old school wrestling another time. But it was this whole different thing of wrestling. And if you were stuck in the house, and we were poor, we'd have a car, so we were stuck in the house, wrestling as a child, it was powerful. Till this day, I listen to old school podcasts i want to learn about wrestling from the 70s and 80s and early 90s not the stuff today it just doesn't appeal to me on new jersey network came to uwf bill watts mid south territory and that was amazing talent dr Def, steve williams hacksaw jim duggan terry taylor many of these guys when they came to the wwf vince used them and marketed them more like a cartoon character as opposed to a wrestler. And then on TV 40, world-class championship wrestling where the Von Erich family was there. And I don't wanna get too much into wrestling right now as I wanna talk about some of the neighbors, but the reality was this. Wrestling, being poor in the 80s and watching wrestling was your escape. And even though we only had channels two to 13, We got a glimpse of wrestling from Texas, Oklahoma, um, North Carolina, and we had Vince McMahon stuff. And I learned at a young age, when I'm in school in Ventnor and taking a bus to get there, instead of talking about the white shadow and what's happening and good times, I can talk about wrestling because wrestling resonates to the suburban kids. And even at this young age, you start learning how to adapt into certain situations. And it makes you bitter in some ways, but it was almost like the white shadow and good times of what's happening put you in this chaos system. We talked about the chaos system the other day, but, you know, but I'll tell you this, the things i enjoyed at 12 Many are, are many of the same things I enjoy at 47. And I guess in some ways I didn't grow up, or in other ways I kept it real. Neighbors is where things got weird. Our neighborhood changed a lot. So while we were poor, the neighborhood was once an Italian based neighborhood an urban blight hit, Pitney Village became a different dynamic. And as casinos protected the economy of Atlantic City, it also drove a lot of residents out and it became crime infested. When I left Atlantic City, it was the seventh most dangerous city in the country and Went back there a couple years ago, and it was <clears throat> was different looking around that city. But I'm going to talk about three neighbors I had. You know, Mo Petroni was a great man. And I was cool with the Gallagher's. Things happened, guys. People moved. And... As they moved, we couldn't afford to move. And violence came next door to us. And it came in three different varieties. You know, I see a lot of people talk about how tough they are. Or what they've been through in life. (sighs) I know a lot of people got a problem with me, act like they have a sense of entitlement. I look back at some of our neighbors as a blessing and a curse. You learned some dynamics with who your neighbors were, and just so you understand. These were little row homes on Willow Avenue in Ducktown Atlantic City. And they were adjacent to one another. And um, you can not only hear what your neighbors were doing, you could smell what they were doing, you could taste what they were doing. It wasn't so much as they were your neighbor It was almost like a roommate if it was a normal sized house. And three families moved in over the course of several years. And um, I'm gonna change names, but I'm gonna give some identifiers and talk about some of the things I saw. The first family, we'll just call them the Williams. I don't think any of these people, per se, disliked me, if you would. They knew me as a nice, cute little kid that was always playing ball, loved his animals, and there was no violence from them towards me and my family. But violence came with some of the people they would associate with. The Williams family was a black family. that um, they, they were drug dealers, the only way to put it. And the mom was kind of leader and it was low-end drugs. They were very nice to us. But there were shootings next door and there was violence next door because drug deals would go wrong. And you haven't lived until you hear a gunshot and somebody get killed next door to you. And you're trying to sleep at three o'clock in the morning and the cops are there trying to figure out why there's dead bodies on the street and there's blood trickled on the street. With the Williams family came extraordinary drug violence. And they will get a blog in and of themselves. But for today, the Williams family represent it. Black violence. The Sanchez family, and again, another fake name, moved in after the Williams family. And this was my introduction to Hispanic violence. They came from New York for what I understand. And they were not as nice as the Williams family, but within this row home came um, an amount of violence that is hard to even put in the words, but I will, and I, I am creating names Right now, I'm not going to give you the names of the real people because some of them may follow me and some, many of them are dead, but I don't necessarily want to disrespect them because it really wasn't anger towards some of the family members, but there was um, a different array of the young Hispanic gangbanger from New York whose family moved and it was generational gang violence and that really, this is how learning to survive really became a big thing. It was much worse with the Sanchez's than the Williams. It was um a lot more, there was more drugs with the Williams family, but there was more addiction with the Sanchez's and some of the shit that was part of your daily living was interesting. When they left, a white family came. And if you were white living on Willow Avenue in the 90s, you were poor. And this family, there was a different level of violence. It wasn't the shooting of the Sanchezes or the brutality of the Williamses, but this was just a dysfunctional family who was living on Section 8 housing that hated each other. And all hours of the night, music would be blaring next door as the father was getting high and you couldn't sleep at night. And you would hear the violence of Pitney but you didn't hear the violence of this family other than within their own drama. But sleeping was brutal. And when you politely asked them about your sleeping patterns, then things got violent. And I will say, um, much of my youth went without a lot of sleep due to who the neighbors were. And that kind of had, makes you have a different perspective on things. I was going to get more into the three neighbors, and I will change names in the future. But I think they all deserved their own airtime, if you would. And I don't think I was prepared to um, get called up when I was thinking about them today. <laughs> Neighborhoods are important, guys. Was, um, was a lot but i think i'll need to be in the right mindset to really discuss neighbors if you would so when people have an issue with me or people threaten me listen we, blew up, we grew up two blocks away from Nicky Scarpa's family. I grew up 50 feet from Pitney Village. And I grew up adjacent to two of the strongest gang families you could imagine. It's hard to really shake me up. And I can still escape with the white shadow or what's happening. That's how I'm going to end
0: this. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: Football. Can you hand me that football? I'm (laughs) sorry. All right. We are live. No luck on those glasses? Uh, I need my sunglasses. I lost my sunglasses. This is really frustrating. <laughs> this is... Uh, and nobody can find them. That's not what these people want to hear, about. We have a wonderful cross-section of community in here right now. And uh, we're going to talk about um, dating apps. You guys all been there, right? What, dating? what you call it? Yeah, I guess so. All right. Oh yeah. Anyway, you know, and I can't find my sunglasses. I'm so pissed off. I'm so burned out. I've had so many cases this week. I'm out of my mind, and I'm gonna be weirder than usual. And I got to get some content on. That's okay if I'm weird though. People like people like the weirdness. Being weird is okay. Embrace it, people. Joe Aberra showed me how to see who was stalking my Facebook profile today. Oh, yeah. oh my God! Is everybody in the Attorney General's office looking at my profile? <laughs> no, just the last school employee there. Wow, they're scared. Anyway, hey Mayor Ken, how are you? So, back in the day, right before social media was where it is today, we had AOL as You're sort bad of a dating app. And I just want to tell you something. This truly was gambling. Cause you would be talking to people without seeing their picture. So you're actually getting to know people. Terrifying shit, right? And as we learned throughout the course of my history, I've always been an amazing second choice <laughs> and AOL was no different. Hey, Brian Lundys in the house. What do you think of that live audience? Good. Thumbs up, Brian. I want to share a couple stories about Word Warrior 76 (laughs) and Bill and Imo 23. They were my two AOL aliases. Let me give you some history on that. Bill and Imo 23 was about Bill Neary Amadeo, Neary was my family's name, and I said this before I was 23. I'm like 19, pretending to be 23. Thinking, oh, those cool older girls are like 24 are gonna be into me now. Yeah. <laughs> it worked on some levels, unfortunately. World Warrior 76 was a play on me being a failed boxer and a failed writer, who was born in 76. Um, let me just tell you guys, on some of these situations I walked away from the scenarios, and some I ran, and some I sped away in my car. <laughs> And in all of them, I ended up okay. But let's, let me tell you about my first AOL experience. It was the hot pink girl. <laughs> and um, me and this young woman hit it off. I'm a sophomore in college and word warrior 76 and the hot pink girl having these intense conversations. She knew Atlantic city. I knew Atlantic city. It was such a great connection. And i met her at tropicana for a date and uh i was pretty excited about this and while i'm there i see an ex-girlfriend of mine who was home from break from college I said hey how are you doing she goes how are you now mind you guys this is before you were talking on your cell phones like this right you weren't texting people back then so i'm chatting it up and she's getting really pissed off saying you know what I met some guy online, I guess he stood me up. I said, ah, I guess I got stood up too. It took us a few minutes to realize <laughs> that we were the ones talking to each other. She was the hot pink girl, I was Warrior 76. And you can imagine how disappointed I was. Because the online persona was nothing like she was in the real world. In the real world, she was horrible to be around. <laughs> but on AOL, she was fascinating at 19 years old. I left Tropicana as you can imagine. Um, But that wasn't the last time I had an AOL experience. I was a junior in college. I'm at Stockton and everybody's talking about the AOL apps. And I decided I was going to go after an older woman this time. By older this time, I thought like late 20s was old. Now that's like a baby. <laughs> Then, that was the older woman. So I met somebody who was a writer and she was a professor and she was all, she read some of my poetry, which by the way sucked, but she said she was really into it. That she's like put my head up, like I'm a good writer. And we know I'm not, right? <laughs> we know, um, and we're gonna meet at the movie theater and i'm all excited and it's snowing outside and i see one of my english professors jumping over snow in high heels right hey what's she doing here so i go up there say hey how are you She goes, i can't talk now i got a blind date <laughs> surprise <laughs> it was me and it was a very weird situation and she goes I don't think it's really cool you're going after older women online i said, i don't think it's cool you prey on young people online <laughs> movies sucked i um i don't know it was just very different and then as we evolved on aol we learned we could make different profiles <laughs> so word warrior 76 created Bill and i 023 and what word warrior would do after a while after working all day and all he would log out and Bill and i 023 would log in and nobody would be the wiser that was until I met martini girl martini girl was a girl in the area who obviously liked martinis that was her pitch I'm a martini girl oh I'm bartending must be fate. So, Word Warrior seventy six is talking to Martini Girl, and they're hitting it off. Word Warrior seventy six says good night. Bill and Ammo twenty three logs on. Bill and Ammo twenty three meets Italian Party Girl, and she and Bill and Ammo twenty three hit it off, until Italian Party Girl admitted that she was Martini Girl. <laughs> And Bill and I were 23, admit he was word warrior 76. It was fascinating how much these people had to come with one another. <laughs> seems like a small circle. <laughs> and it, it didn't really go well. But um, things would change in law school. Cause in law school, we had MySpace. And MySpace, oh my God, there were pictures but only headshots and the deception grew. <laughs> you hear people clicking like, I hear you're saying, you know? People are feeling what I'm saying here.
0: <laughs> How can he judge the whole
1: <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm sorry. One of the live audience members just walked out laughing. MySpace was fascinating, but there were problems with MySpace. At Cooley in 2004, 2005, the problems surrounded about your top eight. The top eight was a relationship killer. I remember talking to one young woman, and I became number two in her top eight. And her longtime boyfriend, who was number four in her top eight, wanted to kill me. How'd you become number two? It might be that Seinfeld episode where the speed dial, they moved Jerry to number one. It was a bad thing, man. It was just bad. But, um, some things, they evolved. And there was this one girl from law school who, uh, and you yeah, remember something, guys. 2005. You know my sense direction sucks. That is not one of my talents. Let's just be really clear about that. And one time, MySpace almost got me killed. One time, MySpace wanted me to kill myself. <laughs> we'll get into that, stay tuned. Don't ever go out with someone because say, like your poetry on MySpace. Gotta learn some lessons the hard way, okay? I'm
0: really into that poetry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I met this one girl from law school and she what were you saying? I was saying you were in the poetry. I was. I was. A, I, was a, I was an attempted poet. <laughs> I wrote a lot of poetry. Wow. <laughs> Fan club. Yeah. I, I did for 2005. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the depressed cat. <laughs> but, uh, the, the poetry is very depressing. It was a lot of stories about being a white kid in the ghetto. I can't imagine where I came from. And then they tried to kill me again. <laughs> I survived. <laughs> with the strength of my Aunt Mary in the church. <laughs> the okay, okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> one thing's for sure, I've never complained about being a poor white kid from the ghetto. That's not something that comes out of my mouth. Now. So this one girl in law school, she lives in like what I thought was the woods of Lansing. You gotta system. something, no GPS, I'm a Jersey kid. I don't know what the hell's going on. She gives me this address. I'm like MapQuest. If I'm MapQuest, there's always one wrong (laughs) turn. So she says, hey, are you coming over? I'm like, I've been driving for like 20 minutes. I can't find where you live. She says, well, make a right by the green dumpster. That was helpful in the middle of the night. So we get to her house, and we had classes together, this girl. And I think you knew, you thought you knew someone, right? It was like those AOL crazy things. Now we knew someone. And I am at her house and I see all these deer heads on the wall and all these shotguns, right? Like, oh, you're quite the hunter I see. And she's like, no, I'm not, but my husband is. (laughs) Oh, did you guys recently break up? No, no, we're very happily married. Well, wait a minute. It's like 1230, I'm at her house. You and your husband are happily married and I see these shotguns everywhere. Can imagine, fear starts to set in a little bit. She tells me, don't worry, he doesn't get off work till late. Oh, well, was like 12.30! I got no idea. I don't know where I went, but eventually I found my way back to Village Green. Define to, to late. Well, you know, to me, 12.30 was late in law school. And I don't know who this dude is, but I see these shotguns. I'm gonna get killed, because of goddamn MySpace. But you gotta remember, if you think you're a talented writer, that does not mean you are a talented writer. It means you think you're a talented writer. And for some reason in law school, I thought I was like the white Langston Hughes. I would write some weird stories about Atlantic City on a MySpace post and and people would be like, eating this shit up. Oh my God, he almost got killed again. Did you make it? Well, clearly i am in torts with you, so I must have survived. <laughs> That's okay. So this one young woman, she says she likes my poetry. Now, if you know me, I've always been a bit of an egomaniac. So this person saying I like my poetry, that's all it took for me. Like This must be someone I should go out with. They like my lousy poetry. Um, Yeah, and then I was deceived. I ended up hanging with this girl for a while. She ended up failing out of law school. And before she left, I had secure transactions this one term. She took a cup of coffee and she dropped it all on my secure transactions book. And if you remember secure transactions at Cooley, it was the one open book test you had. So you put marks on your secure transactions book. She literally destroyed that book.
0: This was on purpose?
1: This was on purpose. She was pissed off. And she was pissed off because I was done with her. Like, you know how, okay, how do I put this? other than Kara, my experience is the first three to six months you're dating someone, they're putting their best foot forward. Right. But after that, if they're crazy, the crazy comes out. Now, if you have somebody who failed at a law school, we double that speed. The three to six month period becomes the one to three month period. (laughs) And by month two and a half, I knew I had a problem on my hands. She would say I have to go home, but she moved all her stuff in. She would say she liked my cats, but I would see her reading stories of like how cats are evil. Concerned for Winston and Bianca right now. This led to a horrible series of events where I had to change the locks on my door to get her out eventually. She finally moved out of state. But it was all because she liked my poetry on MySpace. Really, all it took back then, guys, was, like, a decent look on to say they found something interesting about me. I was like, oh my god, let me buy you dinner! I was really dumb back then. <laughs> Thank god, I improved slightly since then. <laughs> um. Yeah. Another thing I would advise is you shouldn't date grocery store clerks that are stalking your MySpace profile. (laughs) McManus is shaking his head furiously. No, no, no. There was this uh, grocery store clerk, right? And she, I guess DMs me, would you call it or a message back then? says, Hey, you always shop at Meyers and I've noticed you like, wow, this is Sebastian. That's some time. (laughs) Mistake. I asked her, "What kind of movies do you like?" Well, I like the laugh. I'm like, oh, okay, you like comedies? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you what, what do you find funny then? <laughs> so I took her to a movie, right? And the whole night, she keeps whispering in my ear. What does this mean? So she was really dumb, um, really bad. And I went out with her strictly because she approached me on Myspace. That was really weird, understand the stalkerish issue. And I've been guilty of this, right? If somebody stalks me, I usually was honored without realizing this is a dangerous person you shouldn't be around. Wait, what's Mike piece say? I broke up with this girl once and she started stalking me. I didn't answer the door anymore. and she dropped off a freshly cooked beef roast with potatoes and carrots in the big roasting pot thing. <clears throat> Mike, did you eat the food? I, too, have fallen for the food being left at the apartment door. Which one of us hasn't? Oh, a gift. <laughs> the Trojan horse. Sometimes in the entryway. Um... <laughs> All right, finally, we evolved to Facebook. And in Facebook, you got to know more about people. There was no top eight. Now it was things of substance. You weren't meeting people because they're cool theme songs. I mean, who didn't fall for that? Oh my God, she's putting yellow card on her MySpace page. We, I should invest some time in her! We connect. Exactly! What I learned on Facebook... You should never go out with somebody just because they like Seinfeld. Learn some things the hard way. Second time you got brought in by a in the mail. First Columbia House, then AOL. Never again! Oh man so anyway listen the moral of the story is i think things were simpler during the aol times don't you (laughs) we didn't know what was going on we were actually meeting people based on what they said as opposed to what they look like (laughs) the surprise was there myspace we got catfished based upon fake photos music choices in top eight, weren't we, come on, weren't we all flattery made to that top eight? When we made to that top eight, we're thinking, oh shit, I must be important, Status. without realizing they were using you to piss off <coughs> the other people they bumped out of the top eight. And the person they bumped out of the top eight, they want to kill you because you were in the top eight. And all you wanted to do was get a break from studying. Next thing you know, you see some crazy guy with guns and deer heads on the wall. You get some crazy (laughs) grocery clerks chirp like stalking you. MySpace is when people became mature. Now we learned about them. And by the way, this is long before the girls start changing their names from Mary Smith to Mary Elizabeth, because that's their middle name. And I think that's all I got right now. That was 20 minutes of rambling. I can't go any further. Because, I mean, this won't be good for business.
0: <laughs> yeah, no.
1: We're, we're going to stop right now. I appreciate the live audience all jumping in. Oh, yeah. We tripled it. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I still can't find my goddamn sunglasses. <laughs> you know, one day... My son's gonna watch this shit and say what the hell was wrong with my father. That's the thing. That's well, the thing, man. Internet, it, now it's safe forever. That's Thank God way. his mother has a good head on her shoulders. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Don Amadeo. From uh, McMaster Amadeo and Crabble Associates and the Attorney General's favorite defense lawyer.